0: I said in the earlier service you all need to hang with me on this sermon since the pulpit has been moved over to the side I think it's a whole new definition on what it means to be a progressive Baptist. <laughs> so Renee started our worship this morning with a reading from the Gospel of Matthew from the 21st chapter when Jesus rode the donkey into the city of Jerusalem for the Passover feast. A couple of Hours days have passed, and we're going to pick up the story again in the 26th chapter of Matthew, verse 47. I invite you to stand with me for this reading. Hear the word of God. While Jesus was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd and swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, "The one I will kiss is the man, arrest him at once." Judas came up to Jesus and said, "Greetings, Rabbi," and kissed him. Jesus said to him, "Friend, do what you are here to do." And then they came and laid hands on Jesus and arrested him. Suddenly, one of those with Jesus put his hand on his sword, drew it, and struck the slave of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think I cannot appeal to my creator, who will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled, which say it must happen, In this way, at that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you not come out with swords and clubs to arrest me as though I were a bandit? Day after day, I sat in the temple teaching, and you did not arrest me. But all this has taken place so that the scriptures of the prophets may be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted Jesus and fled. Friends, this is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks Thanks be be to God. God. Holy One, we need to hear some good news this morning. We wonder what is at hand for those who have the courage to stay by your side. Inspire us to such bravery and tenacity. Amen. Go ahead and raise your hand if you have a subscription to Amazon Prime. All right, keep them up, keep them up, keep them up. Okay, now those of you who don't have your hand in the air, look around at these other people and talk to them after worship to learn how your life can immediately be better. For a minimal monthly fee, your Amazon Prime membership gets you two-day free delivery on most any item in the Amazon.com world. You can also access a growing online network of film and TV shows. Further, there is a music library that can keep your ears happy for many days. Amazon Prime is changing the online retail world. And... There is a new feature for Prime members, and it's called the dash button. For $5, which is later rebated to you, you can buy a literal button for your home so that every time you run out of cat food, you press the IMS cat food button, and more cat food will promptly be delivered to you. And if it's pressed early enough in the day, the item arrives later that afternoon. You can press a button for a full smorgasbord of things, toothpaste, dry erase markers, vitamins, chapstick, breath spray, shampoo, cliff bars, coffee, pistachios, pop tarts, garbage bags, Rogaine, and even hand soap. People, this is amazing. (laughs) And so convenient. I remember stories about when my grandmother grew up poor on a farm in Independence, Kentucky, and she had to make her soap. And then I remember when I was a kid, going to an actual store with an adult and standing in front of shelves to go through the hassle of actually picking up a bottle of soap and putting it into a cart and going to the checkout line where they would scan it This is long, isn't it? Put it in the bag, and my mom would stand there and write a check. It took forever. (laughs) Now with Amazon Prime Dash Button, the next time I'm washing my hands and I use that last squirt of soap, boom, more soap. I predict we will have fuse box equivalents in our kitchen to hold all of our Amazon Prime Dash Buttons. Now, at the risk of going too far with this illustration, there was an article in the New York Times this past week that revealed the giant retailer's newest venture is called Amazon Go. With a new app on your smartphone, when you enter the Amazon Go grocery store, a complex series of algorithms and computer scanning technology interface to automatically record what items you select to buy the app automatically debits your pre-linked account with the quickly calculated total. So then with the tap of your finger when you are finished on your phone, your e-receipt displays. Quick and simple, gone are the days of slow-moving checkout lines and cash registers. Now, aside from the troubling fact that Amazon is literally taking over the world with their corporate mindset... A huge reason for their success, I believe, is that they are creatively offering solutions to what we perceive as scarcity and a lack of time. No more overcrowded stores or running out of common household goods or having to wait on things that we want now. Amazon highlights first world problems with the use of technology and unlimited resources, and they deliver. I wish we could get a button that would really fix things in a dash. Like, what if there was a button for weight loss? How many of us would click that thing 100 times a day, right? One more cookie, I've got my Jenny Craig button. (laughs) Or what if we needed a vacation and you could click the Disney Cruise button and then the boat just pulls up right in front of your house? Or perhaps even a little more needed, when the doctor gives us an unexpected report What if she could follow it up with, but have no fear, we have this lovely prescription button that with each push lessens the likelihood that your diabetes will persist. We may chuckle and dream, but haven't we all hoped for such quick fixes in life? And haven't we all believed the myth at one point or another that says, if we believe hard enough or shout Hosanna a little louder, life wouldn't be so hard and we wouldn't need all these buttons. But we know the truth to be otherwise. And so we come to worship this morning on Palm Sunday, where Palm Sunday is about slowing down. It is a recognition for us who know the full story of what is to come. And it is space for us to find ways to faithfully remain in the parts of life that cannot be resolved in a dash. And so as we look to these palms that the kids have scattered on the floor here, I keep thinking, too bad the first century followers didn't have a good Andrew Lloyd Webber melody to go with their shouts for salvation. And yet I also wonder, I see them having this savior riding in town for a great Passover feast. Not on a tank or a war horse preparing for battle. Not to triumph over an evil Roman regime. But on a borrowed donkey with peasants and outcasts laying their dirty cloaks onto a dirt road making way for this itinerant radical rabbi. Hosanna, blessed are you, Jesus. Save us. And yet, if there was a salvation button, the people were pushing it all through that parade. No more will Caesar persecute, no more will Pilate dominate. No more will the religious elite inflict guilt on us. No more will the rich trample on the poor. No more will hate and bigotry and classism corrupt Jerusalem. It's the Hosanna button. And yet as the week unfolds and the palms dry out, the shouting takes on a different tone. Jesus, he travels quickly to Bethany to see some family and then back to Jerusalem for the meal. And while eating dinner with his people, Jesus picks up some bread and some wine, and I imagine he completely changes the tenor of the meal. What is camaraderie and fun-loving conversation quickly gets serious. He announces Judas's betrayal and Peter's pending denials. Take a moment to imagine how the energy of the room would have shifted. And then later that evening, when Jesus withdraws to the garden, stressed and hurting, he turns to his disciples for support. It's not long before the imperial guards arrive with Judas. Judas offers his kiss of betrayal. Peter panics and slices off a guard's ear, and Jesus gets ticked. Turning to those around him, Have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me as though I were a bandit? Day after day, I sat in the temple preaching and you did not arrest me. The air must have been ripe with the possibility of rioting and violence. All sides, all people are scared and confused. And the marginalized people there are watching their liberator get cuffed and beaten by authorities. So not wanting to get dragged away too. Unsure of how to respond if violence is not the answer. The disciples run away. Matthew records it like this. They deserted Jesus and fled. The events of the night garden could not be stopped. It could not be fixed. There was no dash button for peace. There was no quick app to scan. The followers were without a clear path forward, and the one who came to Passover to save his people was arrested, and his best friends disappeared. Now, even though we know that Pilate will deem Jesus innocent, something still needs fixing, right? And quickly, What was just a few days ago a shout for salvation evolves through these dark, intense hours into a public cry for crucifixion. The crowd agrees that the simplest, quickest solution is public execution. They need to make an example out of Jesus. Renegades who challenge the status quo and question authorities will not be tolerated. And the disciples miss this public trial where the masses demand the death penalty. And those in power were only able to protect their own power in the face of the surging crowd in hostility. I know I'm not the only person in the room this morning who has concern that our president pushed a button this week that sent missiles into an already war-torn land. Turning to a region to whom we have closed our borders with attacks therefore contributes to the Syrians' need for refuge. And it seems like all of the rulers are looking for a dash button. Let's not be fooled into a quick fix solution here. How do we respond if we are going to resist fleeing? How do we also refute the message from the supporting masses who are purporting such fear and anger? Louisville's mayor, Greg Fisher, with an educated, experienced team, is hosting a year long community dialogue about redlining. Do you know about redlining? It's our national housing appraisal system, partnered with the help of real estate brokers and mortgage lenders, literally drawing different colored lines on a map around neighborhoods to mark them as safe and lucrative and well-developed. Areas of towns throughout the country that were mostly African-American or immigrant-based or inhabited by non-whites were marked with a literal red line, labeling these areas as hazardous for investors. The more hazardous an area, the banks placed higher interest rates on loans, rendering many folks without access to post-World War II housing boom. Redlining started in Louisville as far back as the 1930s. And one of the many atrocities to come from this systemic, overt racism promotes a fear among white people that says, if African Americans move into your neighborhood, not only will crime increase, but your property value will decrease. Do you see how these entwined systems of housing and banking and vocation boosted whites throughout the 20th century and sent minority populations into a downward spiral? Why hasn't Amazon made a stop redlining button or a stop the Syrian war button? We could list a whole platform of issues, couldn't we? Think about the ICE deportations that are going on, the fight on women's reproductive health, the number of transgender murders this year, most of them women of color. Or how about the fact that we are already ahead of last year's, a record-breaking year, April count for homicides in Louisville. And these are just the large issues. What about what each of you and I are carrying privately into this room today. The anxieties in your gut about work, or the distrust of your partner. The longings to fulfill an addiction or the insecurity we all face for not being better, however we define better. At the risk of overexposing myself, I want to share a confession. Nancy Goodhue and Joe and I visited last week with a pastor and deacon at a West End Black Baptist church. As we learned more about the many social service ministries the church offers the community, and as we asked about what it would look like for our mostly white middle class congregation to come alongside their work, if that would even be helpful, I was overwhelmed. Not by the issues but how they were personal for this pastor and this congregation. What feels to me like issues over there, for them, were right here. I wanted to flee. Every part of my white privilege felt like I was 100 miles from the highlands. And it's part of being white to want to fix things. We have historically had the power and the wealth and the resources to fix broken places or people but there is no amount of education or experience that can quickly fix decades of redlining. It would be audacious and precocious and pejorative of me or any of us to think that we could somehow fix centuries of indignity and abuse and neglect. So then I turned into the crowd as we were driving back to the Highlands. And I wanted to blame someone or something. I wanted a trial by execution to explain all of this and to make it go away. But again, mostly I wanted to flee and keep on with our good work here. I wanted to ignore the daily realities for our neighbors. I suppose, not unlike the disciples when they abandoned their invitation to keep vigil in the garden that night, I felt misplaced, insecure. Inadequate. And those are not uncommon feelings and thoughts. I trust that you too have them. Kind of like when photos of refugee fil- children surprise us in our Facebook feed or accost us in our daily newspapers. What can we do anyway? We all rightly ask. The pain is too huge and the problem's too significant. Church, life is tough. And we are headed into a really dark and twisty week where the one who was supposed to make everything in the world okay dies. The heavens metaphorically rip apart and darkness prevails upon the earth. And yet, I claim, standing here in front of you this morning, I claim that even in the heartache and the social upheaval, that there is beauty in this world that is waiting to blossom. Amen. We don't have to scapegoat an innocent brown man to deal with this kind of pain, and we don't have to flee. There is another way. There are faithful women who stay at the cross. We'll meet them in our text in the coming days. And they cannot stop the injustice of evil, and nor do they have the power to save anyone directly, least of all Jesus. And yet, by the very act of their staying woke to the realities around them, they stand courageously with the accused. Friends, we have this same option. And I see you as a church, as Highland Baptist Church, taking it every day. Together, we have the power to support our city's efforts to expose and dismantle redlining simply by showing up to the conversations. It's not a fix. But it's facing the problem. We have the power and the authority to rally and to protest and to write letters. We can't control our political leaders, but we can let them know that we have a voice. We have the power to sing hymns with treble and bass voices marked. Did you notice that in our hymn of procession today? Instead of using the traditional binary women and men, it doesn't bring back the trans people who have been killed but it is a small step forward to welcome trans friends into this community. We have the opportunity to get to know churches whose needs differ from our own as we work together for the mission of the gospel. It doesn't fix the West End, but it exposes us to new relationships and co-ministry opportunities. And we will have in the near future at our next QCC the opportunity to learn more from the Ministry Council about how we as a congregation can be more welcoming to local undocumented refugees. Ultimately, we have the opportunity to gather in beautiful spaces like this sanctuary with one another when the going gets tough. To do just that, to be together, regardless of whether we are holding palms and shouting Hosanna, or something dreadful out in the public square, or some slogan about liberation at a rally. Let us, this Palm Sunday, stop looking for a quick and easy fix, a painless solution. Because even when I push my Diet Coke button, and it effortlessly arrives the next morning, it has not been effortless for everyone on the other side of the button. As I see it, we have an invitation this week to be mindful of the suffering around us as we are mindful of our own suffering. And so we turn to the historic, horrific realities of this week that we call holy. And as we do it, I invite you to stay vigilant to the needs around you, to the hurts and fears of those who do not have power, as well as to the fears and reactions of those who do. Together, we can stay when things get uneasy, even when we are scared and full of our own needs. Because when we stay, when we see it through, and when we keep vigil, we find space to offer compassion and mercy, to embody love and justice, even if our resources are as limited as those of the women at the foot of the cross. And so, here's the good news. Here's the beauty. We worship a God who meets us even especially in the chaos of darkness, the isolation of night, the fear of complexity. We serve a God who neither flees nor accuses, but loves and liberates. May we be so bold to follow. Amen.